Good morning and happy Global Ivy Day. Founded by the Ivy Alumni Network in 2010, Global Ivy Day is about reconnecting with friends, colleagues, classmates, and the Ivy community. We're grateful that you have joined us for today's event. My name is Gerard Seitz. I'm a professor of organizational behavior at the Ivy Business School and the executive director of the ENO Inatowicz Institute for Leadership. The Institute has a close, warm relationship with Lviv Business School at Ukrainian Catholic University. Over the years, through the efforts and support of Andriy Rostazvensky and Sofia Opacha, we have and will continue to collaborate on research, student programming, and outreach to advance our work on leadership and leader character. It has been a joy to work with the faculty and staff at Lviv Business School, and our collaboration has developed into a true friendship. The invasion and ongoing attacks by Russian forces has created an overwhelming situation for so many in Ukraine and its surrounding countries. I often think about my friends in Ukraine and the millions of innocent women, men and children as they face this war and fear for their lives. I promised my friends that I would share their story and my experience of their kindness, warmth and generosity. I have done so and will continue to do so and to pay tribute to the courage and resilience of the people of Ukraine as they face an ongoing assault from the Russian invaders. The world is in an era of converging crises from health and climate emergencies to social and economic inequality, the rise of populist authoritarian regimes, international conflict and violence, the lack of affordable education, food and housing, and what appears to be a never ending attack on women's dignity, humanity and rights. People often say that the crisis is a defining test for leaders and their competencies and character. It's just inevitable through the course of any of our leadership journeys that we will face with defining moments. And these moments shape us as individuals and, we hope, contribute in positive ways to our shared global future. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is a compelling example. Throughout this war, Zelensky has been a determined and charismatic leader, rallying Ukraine's citizens and galvanizing the international community. His now famous response to U.S. officials of, I need ammunition, not a right, when offered a chance to flee advancing Russian troops, is now clearly serving as one of his defining leadership moments. It was then that he solidified to Ukrainian citizens and to the world that he is a leader who not only says the right thing, but actually does it. Too often, we can find ourselves sidestepping the tough stuff or capitulating too, rather than conquering our own fear. And whereas fear creates feelings of isolation, Courage is contagious and lurks inside even the most timid of individuals, drawing out brave actions and behaviors that they might not have known was even inside them. So, pardon my language, when shit happens, will you and your courage be what lights the way and shines through to others? As associate director of the Institute, Kimberly Milani and I recently wrote in an op-ed for the Toronto Star, and I quote, whatever happens in Ukraine, Zelensky has already had a far-reaching impact on the rest of the world. We must not let that impact fade as we collectively face numerous other converging crises, ranging from the ongoing pandemic to climate change to social economic inequality. We must not waste this rare example of what good leadership looks like. Imagine how different our world could be if global leaders would step up the way Zelensky has, end of quote. Of course, it is entirely possible that President Zelensky's improbable leadership has been a revelation unto himself. Perhaps he didn't realize the depths of his own character until it was critically called upon. Zelensky was a comedian and, ironically, to some in Ukraine, a joke of a politician before Russian troops invaded the country. There was very little in Zelensky's past to suggest he would be an admired and heroic real-time war president. 
And that should be an important lesson for all of us. The most unlikely people rise in the most unlikely of moments when they are able to call upon and draw forth their strength of character. You could be one of them. And that is why defining moments are indeed a test. A test of how we are going to show up in the most critical moments and reveal who, not what, we are. I'm joined this morning by three guests, and collectively, we will discuss the important moments in the development of their personal leadership, explore key leadership lessons from the crisis in Ukraine, consider the ways leaders impact their communities, and find direct takeaways for all leaders across the public and private sectors. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Dan Bielak. Dan is a Canadian lawyer, former advisor to prime ministers of Ukraine, senior counsel at international law firm Kinsteller, and now member of the Kyiv Territorial Defense Forces of the Armed Forces of Ukraine. Lena Kazarni, Lena's HBA of 1991, and she's the founding partner and CEO of Horizon Capital, the leading private equity firm in Ukraine. Under her leadership, Horizon Capital was honored as 2021 firm of the year for Central and Eastern Europe by Private Equity International. And retired Major General David Fraser, David is one of Canada's most accomplished leaders in both the public and private sectors. He had an illustrious 30-year career in the Canadian Armed Forces. Most notably, he commanded the NATO coalition in southern Afghanistan in 2006. Today, he's an entrepreneur, president of Aegis 6 Corporation, and sits on several boards. Also, David is a mentor to students at the Ivy Business School. Lena, Dan, and David, welcome. So, Dan, let's get right to it. Uh, you're Canadian-born. You could easily have left Ukraine when the war was about to start and be living a happy, good life in Toronto. Instead, you stayed in Kiev and now serve in the Territorial Defense Forces protecting your country. You literally, literally put your life and leadership on the line. Where did a deep commitment to Ukraine and Kiev come from? Well, thanks for having uh, me, Gerard. Look, I've been here 30 years, so I'm not exactly an expat. I'm, as they say, I'm, I'm all in. Uh, my wife is Ukrainian. My younger children are Ukrainian. I made my decision a long time ago. And when, when the, the, the war broke out, uh, it, you know, it was a moral issue for me. Why, why should other people defend what I have and what I've built and what, I, what I've worked for? And uh, so I, I, like many, many other people here, we all do what we can. We all use whatever skills we have and uh, we make the contribution that we make in order to achieve victory. It's, it's actually probably much more goal oriented than anything else I've ever done. Uh, much simpler, to be honest with you. I sleep better at night now than I did in my civilian iteration uh, because uh, you don't have as many things to worry about. Well, not many things to worry about. Then I think there's lots to worry about. Well, look, when you believe in something, when you really, really believe in something at its core and you share that belief and those values with the people around you, it, it builds a, a cohesive uh, a set of uh, people. It builds a community, both in the community in which I live, uh, both in my law firm. And, you know, you, you also have to lead by example. I mean, there, there's probably no more trite aligned to describe leadership than, than that. But, it, but it's very, very true. You know, you have a sense of obligation uh, to the people that, that trust you and, uh, and rely on you. Uh, whether it's your family, whether it's your community, whether it's uh, the people in your in your office, and um, you know, my my father taught me a long time ago: you're either uh, part of the solution or you're part of the problem. So when you when you see a problem, when you see an issue, and you think you can do something about it, uh, you owe it to yourself, and you owe it to all the other people that that rely on you and look up to you to uh, 
to, to perform. Um, I, I don't think it, it, it was anything hugely complicated. It wasn't anything I, I intellectualized. Uh, and as I said, I, I made my decision a long time ago that, you know, this was this was my home. This is where I was. Uh, I, I've spent, like Lena, uh, we've, we've spent the better part of uh, 30 years uh, trying to build a country from scratch. And uh, who the hell are these uh, orcs to, uh, to take it away from us? I mean, there's, there's just no way. Okay, well, that's a nice segue then to the next question. And um, let me talk a little bit about, or try to talk about your leadership and, and, and the development. What were the important moments in the development of your personal leadership? What were some of the defining moments that helped you to cultivate leader character within your own life? And importantly, that prepared you for your current challenge? I think I think I think values is a big part of it. It's the values that I grew up with in my family. It's the values that you hone uh, as a professional. Uh, it's the values that uh, further develop uh, in in a country in which you're constantly tested by the vulnerabilities and the challenges of of the environment. Uh, this is you know I used to go back to Toronto to to my friends on Bay Street and I used to think to myself how can these people live like this? I mean you know just cars and private schools and everything else. And then I realized I was the weirdo. Uh, you know, I was the outlier and it, that, that, that just wasn't who I was, but yet I was also formed and influenced and shaped uh, by, by all of that. And you bring those values, you bring those principles, you bring your skill set to, to a place that doesn't really know how to measure them. And, and that's a huge challenge because you don't have a measuring stick. You don't, you don't know what you're going to be measured by. And it's you don't really measure yourself by external uh, uh, data or external views of people. You're, you measure yourself by the challenges and the objectives that you set for yourself. And, you know, I've, as a lawyer, I've been a deal maker and you, you've always set you know, I ask my clients, what's your objective? And you start with where you want to get to and you work backwards. Okay. So what, what are all the things that has to happen in order to, uh, uh, to do that? You know, you, you got to take responsibility for your decisions and you take responsibility for your actions. And, you know, I, I was always taught, uh, since I was a kid that, uh, you always finish what you start and you don't give up until it's done. You know what? I was a managing partner of, a, of another international law firm during the Maidan revolution in 2014. And as I was joking with you before we started, I, I did, I must've missed the course on uh, wartime and conflict management of law firms because, uh, you know, nothing prepares you for, for this, for the kind of decisions you have to make, but you know, you, you have to, you have to motivate your team. You've got to pull together and 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 helping others who, who may not have the same frame of reference. And that's, I think, one of the advantages that people from the West have when they come here is to try to put people together and almost in a project management type of, a, of an operation to achieve the goals uh, uh, together. You have to be flexible. Uh, you have to be, adapt very, very quickly. As we were talking before we started, you know, when the first rockets and bombs started to go off uh, on February 24th, it freaks you out because there's nothing in your life that, that, that prepares you for that. And I don't think we're programmed as human beings to to be able to, to comprehend it. But after a while, you know, you start under you sort of understand. And you, when I was out on patrol with my my unit, you sort of, especially in the middle of the night when it's a complete blackout, you can sort of distinguish between, you know, which rockets are coming in, which ones are going out. And as I said, we we had people who had had military experience that could tell you we were taking bets on whether these were Grad rockets, Iskenders, or or something else. But you know, you don't make light of it. You you're always living with vulnerability, and and that really makes you focused. 
I get the sense sometimes when I, when I go back to Canada or when I'm in Europe, for sure, that democracies have become complacent and uh, that freedom is something and liberty is something that we take for granted and that it's somehow owed to us. There's an entitlement to, to have this. It's not the case. Freedom's not free. It comes at a huge cost. And if you're not prepared to defend it, then somebody's going to take it away from you. And I, and I think that this, this uh, uh, current uh, war that we're in really, really has, uh, has shaped the nation and, and its focus in that regard. Outstanding. Dan, as you know, at the, at the Ivy School, we often talk about the three C's of, uh, of leadership. That's kind of the competencies, uh, the, the, the character of which you spoke to. But I also think you talked about kind of the, the commitment, the hard work of leadership and fighting for freedom. And I think that's such an important illustration. Uh, Lena, uh, welcome. It's, uh, it's good to see you. Uh, Lena, you put together a newsletter. And in one of the newsletters, I think you sent this last week, I read the following. Right, and I realize the data might now be, be, be old. So here I quote, entire cities, towns, and villages have been destroyed, including hundreds of schools, 535 kindergartens, 231 healthcare facilities, tens of thousands of residential buildings, 11 airports, some 300 bridges, 24,000 kilometers of roads, 173 enterprises and factories, 16 shopping malls, over 130 cultural and 95 religious institutions and more. How do you personally cope with the violence, the unimaginable destruction and casualties, Lena? Um, Gerard, first, thank you so much for, the, for inviting me for your introduction. Thanks also to the Ignatovich Institute for Leadership. Um, we've seen each other before in Ukraine House Davos, and I very much enjoyed your panels. And this is wonderful for me to be here today as an HBA for whom that foundation means so much and really set me on the course two years later to move to Ukraine and to spend the last 29 years of my career and my life committed to the country. So when you ask how I personally cope, I've always believed that worry is a waste of emotional reserve, that fear is a waste of emotional reserve, that when I understand the breadth of what hap is happening in Ukraine, it merely means that I need to work harder. I need to work faster. I need to be firing on all cylinders. And I believe everybody feels that way. There is no time to be heartbroken. There is no time to be crying. There is no time to be, when people's lives are on the line, then you have to move and you have to make judgment calls. You have to rely on your inner strength, your resilience, your reserves. And it it is the big time. It is the big time. Um, so I can say that that for us, I mean, we we're a private equity firm. We have the the privilege of investing alongside vision entrepreneurs. We provide growth capital. Um, of course, nothing in the world of finance prepares you for something like this. I mean, of course, everyone has business continuity plans. Everyone has those, and we had those, and we also made sure that we had a full plan and rooms booked in Western Ukraine for all of our people. We had moved most of them by February 24th. But that morning I was in DC. I was in DC meeting with one of our largest investors about the new fund that we were signing March 31st. And very quickly that DC hotel room became command center. And very quickly the decision was made within hours that it wasn't good enough for our people to be sitting in Western Ukraine, that every square inch of Ukraine was under fire. 
And that was something that was the immediate, the judgment call that had to be made. And if you go back to your 11 leadership qualities, I mean, at the end of the, at the bottom, underpinning everything, of course, is integrity, is humanity. I very much cared about every single one of our people. And our people, when I think of our family, Horizon Capital, it's 39 people, it's the 11 people at the US government fund, and it's 26,591 people who work in our portfolio companies, in the companies in which we've invested over a billion dollars. So for me, I felt tremendous responsibility. You know, I can't look at violence, destruction, et cetera. I need to be firing on all cylinders. And first and foremost, I had to do all that I could for the safety and security of people, of their families, of their children, and getting those people out within, you know, 24 to 48 hours was extremely difficult. We ended up moving over 150 women and children um, out of the country. Uh, we got so good at it, even embassies asked us if we could help, because uh, you're moving people into safe houses, you're moving people, you're getting special forces to pluck them out of Zaporizhia. You're, you know, I mean, it, it is something that nothing prepares you for that. I, I'm, I'm major general. I feel like, you know, we talk about, you know, taking the boardroom into the battlefield. You know, I mean, this is like we, we, we've now reversed it. So, so look, what? How do I personally cope? I'm strong. I'm resilient. I'm inspired by the Ukrainian people. You have to do what you need to do and what needs to be done at that moment. You cannot have the luxury of wallowing in in tears or wallowing in in some kind of um, you know limbo state you need to be in action you need to make it happen and going back to one of the things that Dan said I mean I've, I've always said start with the end in mind if my vision is to move these people out of Ukraine or my vision is to you know XYZ then you work back from there and that's what we did one point that I do want to make that I think is extremely important when you said that courage is contagious the courage that President Zelensky demonstrated was contagious for the Ukrainian people. The courage of everyday Ukrainians is inspiring the entire world. I have been in Ukraine for 29 years. Finally, the world is seeing the Ukrainians that I've seen for the last 30 years, for decades. These are, this is Ukraine. This is the real Ukraine. This is what I fell in love with in 1993 when I came with my grandmother for three weeks. The determination the drive, the freedom, the, the DNA of Ukrainians that is so self-effacing and humble, yet so courageous and bold. And I think Ukrainians have inspired the world. The president has become, to some extent, a global world leader, if not the leader of the free world, to some extent. Um, he is speaking in a way that, that resonates with people, speaking from a point of principle, of truth, of humbleness, um, that really has, I think, touched and inspired the world. You know, I've I've had the pleasure of meeting President Zelensky over 15 times. Um, I remember as a election observer, I've always been election observer, you know, since 2004. And I remember sitting in the polling station after eight o'clock when they lock the doors and you've got to wait for the vote count. And this is the, the runoff between President Poroshenko and President Zelensky. And I remember reading the platforms. They have, you know, these, these pages of what their platform is. And what President Zelensky wrote was a vision statement. 
he wrote the vision that he has for Ukraine. I'd never seen since 2004 anyone write a vision statement. I mean, he wrote things that, you know, when you look back and I pulled out the vision statement from April 2019, he wrote his first line was, I will tell you about the Ukraine of my dreams, a Ukraine where fireworks at weddings and at birthday parties are the only shootings, a Ukraine where you can open a business in one hour, get a passport in 15 minutes and vote in elections on the Internet, where there is no ad work in Poland and in Poland there are ads work in Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera. You know, when I met him after the inauguration on his first day in office, I had the vision statement. I had a copy of it and I asked him, who wrote this? President Zelensky, who wrote this? He said, I wrote this. And this is this is where the world has underestimated him because they look at him as a comic. He is a survivor. His family survived World War II. His great grandfather was the only one of four, four boys to survive. He has inner strength, inner resilience, inner resolve, and he has seen Ukraine in his mind and he's working towards that. So I think he's he has certainly inspired everyone in Ukraine. He's inspired the world. It was all there if folks took the time to read it before he was even elected. You know, leadership is about character, about that person. And when he was put to the test, he delivered and he continues to deliver. And I hope that all of us can do the same. Thank you, Lana, for that uh, for that very inspiring answer. Uh, David, David, what has been a defining moment in your military career that uh, deeply shaped your persona and your philosophy towards leadership? And David, if you can tell us a little bit about the situation, what exactly happened? What was the outcome? And then most importantly, what was the profound lesson embedded in that experience that helped shape you as a person and as a leader? Well, Gerard, ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be with you today. And I'm, I'm hugely humbled by the two speakers, uh, Lena and Dan, what you've said. And Dan, thank you for everything you're doing uh, by putting everything on the line. So thank you, uh, Lena, and thank you for what you're doing. Listen, I, I sit before you a veteran of three wars, of uh, Sarajevo, the second Gulf War, and Afghanistan. And, and I do so, and I'm also a person that hates war. I hate I hate it with my soul, my passion. But those three wars shaped me as a person and shaped me as a leader. And we are all shaped by our experiences. And we all like to think we like to pick what the crises we want. But in reality, you don't have a choice of what crisis you have and what's going to challenge you as a leader, as a person. It just happens. So let me just tell you about what I learned from Sarajevo, where I was working for the French army as a executive assistant, a chef de cabinet for two French generals, a legionnaire and the 11th parachute division commander who were wearing blueberries in the middle of a civil war. And I watched leadership under fire for 13 months. And what I learned from them is what a leader meant. And I, and I came up essentially with, you know, Ivy talks about the three C's while I have CCR, and I don't mean that great Canadian band Creedence Clearwater Revival. I'd love to listen to them, but what I do mean is about courage, communications, and resilience. And we're and that's a theme here. And what I saw in Sarajevo was the courage of my French generals to make the hard decisions in a timely fashion to fulfill the mission and balance between mission and people. And some days you were mission oriented and some days you were people oriented, but they also had the resilience to do this. And it really shaped me to be a leader later on when 
in the second Gulf War, I was there. But more importantly, I want to focus on when I became the leader in the Southern uh, Coalition in Afghanistan, I was leading nine nations, 20,000 people. And as a leader, I fell back onto, and here's, here is the punchline. It's not a movie. There is no music, ominous music, that's going to tell you that Iskander mu- missile is coming in. It just bang, and it happened. And you don't stand up and lean into it. Ladies and gentlemen, you fall back on what you know and what you have experienced in life. So that is the first takeaway for me is I fell back on what I saw and learned in Sarajevo. I fell back on what those great leaders in combat taught me about how they manage a crisis. And so when I was in Afghanistan, it was leaning back onto that experience. And here's the second rule uh, that you can't change. And rule number one is, Uh, To be a great leader, you have to kill your own people. To be a military leader, you must kill people, your people. Number two is you can't change that rule. People die. And that's what Zelensky is is so characteristic, uh, brilliant at. He's making the hard decisions, knows he has to kill his own citizens to save his country. And he has not wavered from that. So the courage I look at is, as a junior leader, it's physical courage. As a senior leader, it's the moral courage to say and do the right thing. To not stand up there and just say empty words, but actually say that he needs those resources to sacrifice his people to save his country. That is courage, ladies and gentlemen, and he has not wavered one one bit. He has the ability to communicate in a way to answer two questions. What you're doing for the old farts like me and why you're doing it for the young people. By answering those questions, he is getting the commitment of those people to put their lives into jeopardy to save their country and defeat that oppressor called Russia. And his ability to communicate and to do that, and on the third point, the resilience piece, to do it every day now since this war has started. Uh, That is the epitome of what leadership, and that's what I did in Sarajevo. That's what I did in the second Gulf War. That's what I did in. Uh, Afghanistan. And let me just tell you what the cost is. Nothing compared to what Ukrainians are going through. I lost 35 Canadians during my tour. I lost 79 coalition soldiers during my tour. And those numbers, I will live for the rest of my life. But the men and women who I served as their leader expected me to make those hard decisions in a timely way to mitigate and minimize the death and destruction to our own people. And Zelensky is doing it every day. Every Ukrainian leader is doing it every day. And that's why they have gone from the defense to the counter offense to now the offense. And so I would say, here's the other punchline. NATO has been reactive for 50 years. And so was Ukraine. But Ukraine is now anticipating and gone on the offense to fight for their democracy. And I think the West needs to go from being reacting to anticipating And how do you figure out if you're winning or losing? Ask yourself this question, which is the question I have always asked my intelligence and my team. Who is responding to whom? In the private sector, if you are responding to your competition, you are losing. But if your competition is responding to you, you are winning. Add more resources to it. In war, if the enemy is responding to you, you are winning. So ladies and gentlemen, what are the Russians doing today? They are responding to Ukraine. They are fighting. They're on the defense now where Ukraine has gone from the defense to the offense. The other thing I would say is the West is now in support of Ukraine. So Ukraine went from nobody 
to somebody today where they are now controlling the conversation and the West is supporting them. That's leadership. That's effective leadership. And that's about maintaining the selections of the aim, mission, and keeping uh, the initiative where people are responding to you. That's what I learned in my three wars. That's what I'm taking away from Ukraine. Gerard, back to you. All right. So, uh, David, uh, that was... Um an insightful answer, some really tough words around having the moral courage to make difficult decisions. It's about sacrifice, it's about death. So here's my next question for you, David. As you said, as all the panelists said, war is always a test of our character, and I would say in particular, uh, our humanity, feelings like empathy and compassion. And so the brutality of war, as we all witnessed in uh, Busha, uh, Mariupol, Kharkiv, and uh, too many other cities in Ukraine, can make us very cynical and desensitize our feelings. So, David, how, as a leader, did you retain your humanity? Because you can never lower yourself to what the enemy is doing. We, What distinguishes us between us and the Taliban, between us, Al-Qaeda, between us, and the Russians is the rule of law. So Dan, I had lawyers telling me what my rule of law were, and I understood the rule of law. And that made the difference that we call it, I learned this from Michael Rose. It's called the Mogadishu line. Every time you cross the line and you lower yourself to the other side, one day you wake up and you have no idea where you are. The rule of law and the society that we live in uh, has rules and regulations so that we don't lose our humanity. You don't uh, lower yourself, you don't take and start treating the enemy like a subhuman, you treat everybody equally. And by doing that and never lowering yourself, that's how you maintain your humanity. The other way of doing it is, well, back to the rule number one, I agonized every time I made a decision about sending somebody outside the war because I knew I was putting them in danger and I was going to kill somebody. First of all, my people. And secondly is the enemy. I have no fight with the enemy. It's a political discussion, but Every time I did that, I had to agonize over that. And that allowed me to keep my humanity. When I found people that were quickly doing that and weren't agonizing, I got rid of them because they became murderers. And that's not that's not who we are as a society. Thank you. Then uh, back to you. Uh, then you were interviewed for the Globe and Mail a few weeks ago, and you stated the following, and this is a quote, uh, Zelensky had never been tested in a serious situation before, and because of his background, no one was sure how he would behave, end of quote. Now, many people would agree that President Zelensky has shown himself to be a leader Ukraine needs at this crucial moment in its history even if it surprises many of the Ukrainians who voted for him. And so then Lena very passionately gave her perspective around President Zelensky. Let me ask you the same question. In your eyes, what makes him so unique? What makes him so powerful in the eyes of so many people? I think that, you know, I want to extrapolate because this this is not just about President Zelensky, who's, who is clearly... Uh, showing his leadership and the ability to rally the country around him. But this is really about the Ukrainian people. I mean, yesterday, the Ukrainian people got a Distinguished Leadership Award from the Atlantic Council, accepted by the president on, the, on their behalf. Um, there's a famous hetman, Cossack hetman of Ukraine, Ivan Mazapa, who said that your weapon is cold reason, nerves of steel, and a fiery heart. And I think that 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 is probably a, as apt a description as I can think of to describe the Ukrainian people as a whole. Zelensky, his brilliance has been in communicating uh, very, very clearly that we will resist, we will fight, and we will win. And he lets everybody else just get on with it. He doesn't interfere with his generals. 
He doesn't tell them what to do. He doesn't. He's he's not running this campaign. Uh, and uh, the reason, one of the reasons that we are going to win this war is that the president of Russia is running that campaign. Uh, and uh, you know, so the uh, general Zaluzhny and his staff are pro- showing great leadership and communicating that. Defense Minister Oleksiy Reznikov is uh, showing great leadership in doing what he's doing. Foreign Minister Kuleba in what he's doing. Uh, Vice uh, Prime Minister Vereshchuk in terms of organizing uh, evacuations. Everybody's doing what they're doing. Now, that's at the government level. We have something that could have been a big problem in Ukraine. Ukrainians don't like government, and Ukrainians don't like to be told what to do. And Ukrainians are fantastic at self-organizing. And that's exactly what has happened in this war. This is total resistance. This isn't, and it's total resistance against an enemy who is out to annihilate and exterminate an entire nation. To them, there is no Ukraine and there are no Ukrainians. There's no falling back. There's no way to negotiate unless you have total victory. And so to a very large extent, uh, you know, we we have seen what th- this war and this style of leadership exhibited by the president and the government as a whole has played to the strengths of the Ukrainian people. They self-organize. You, you had a, a battle very, very early on in uh, Mikolaevsk Oblast, just north of Mikolaev at a town called Voznesensk. And had the Russians taken Voznesensk, the war could have had a very, very different, uh, 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 be in a very different place than it is today, because it's north of Mikolaev. Mikolaev, they couldn't take. It was too too heavily fortified. Had they taken Voznesensk, they had a clear road to Odessa, and they would have captured the, the southern nuclear reactor, giving them three nuclear reactors with which to hold uh, the, the country and the world hostage. This is a terrorist state we're dealing with. We're not dealing with a, a political conflict here. This is a terrorist organization. And that battle of Voznesensk was, was won by a combination of special forces, regular army, territorial defense forces, and Ukraine's secret weapon, pissed off grandmothers. You do not piss off your grandmother. And not only were they cooking and, and, and you know, preparing food for, for our forces, they were, always, they were also preparing Molotov cocktails, and they were going out and they were throwing them under tanks. And this was all being coordinated by the special forces. And it, you know, our territorial defense forces are people like me. You know, I mean, I've never owned a gun before this. I never had an automatic weapon. I had no military training. I would have been completely useless to uh, Major General uh, uh, Fraser in, in almost any capacity. Maybe as a lawyer, I could have helped a little bit. But, uh, you know, uh, this on-the-job training, and I saw it with my own battalion. The special forces when we had in Brovare, which is north of where I where I where I am, uh, they were they had very heavy artillery duels, and the special forces came down to the battalion commander, and we set up a program where they would take volunteers, guys like me, up to uh, the up to the the front uh, to experience what it was to to fight, also to see. Is somebody actually prepared to kill somebody? Uh, are they going to freeze up? And you know, they 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 had a, a second line of defense of uh, of defense uh, a posture there. Ninety percent of those guys said they would go back and couldn't wait to get back. But they felt the bombs. They felt the the the, the heat of battle. And you know what? It, it it really comes down to there's a really you know if I if I could summarize you know really what the secret weapon is here in Ukraine as a as a leadership principle. It's It's having the courage of your convictions to do the right thing and then getting on with doing it. 
what Lena talked about. You know, so Zelensky has able to channel all of that into letting Ukrainians be Ukrainians, getting on with it, having a very well-trained army, trained by NATO, trained by Canadians, and to a very large extent, and, and by the Brits and the Americans, and, and have proven, and they have, they have internalized the army has internalized those leadership lessons. One of the reasons we're winning is that our guys are nimble. They're tactical. They're mobile. They take sergeants and, and lieutenants take decisions on the ground, whereas we've killed eight to 10 generals. I mean, who kills eight to 10 generals on the other side in two months? That's absurd. But because when they lose their, their commanding officer, they don't know what to do. And the generals come down, they have to take a look and we take them out. I also think there is a very important aspect to this uh, and reason why uh, uh, President Zelensky looks so good is that I think the West has lost the plot, at least up until this point in time. There's a dearth of leadership. There was a, everybody was, as, as uh, General Fraser was saying, was reacting. Everybody bought into the Russian myth. Even the Russians bought into the Russian myth that they knew how to fight and that they wanted to fight, which they don't, and, and they can't. And all of a sudden, you know, people started to see that myth uh, being burst. And my biggest fear in the first month and a half, or for basically first month of this war, was that we were going to get thrown under a bus. I didn't trust NATO. I trusted the president. I trusted the army. I trusted my battalion, my community, and, and these angry grandmothers. I didn't trust NATO. And I thought, you know, these guys are going to sit back and they're going to fight Putin down to the last Ukrainian and, and, then, and then cut a deal. And I was, it, it, it sickened me as somebody who grew up with the values and principles that we always fight for freedom, we always defend freedom, we, we, we promote liberty. And, and, and I think that this has been a real lesson uh, for, for the West to, to stand up, grow a pair, and, uh, and fight for what, what you believe in and have the courage of your own convictions. I was doing interviews where I talked about the fact that if you don't have moral clarity around this good, very clear good and evil battle going on, then you, have more, then you carry moral culpability for the outcome. And the deaths of Ukrainians for the amount of for every day of dithering is on the hands of NATO NATO members. And you know, as a result of the, of the fact that now they're in it to win it, there was a tipping point. Um, having said that, the Brits have been stalwart right from the beginning. They were they, and I think they dragged a lot of people behind them. The Americans, as always, as Churchill said, uh, end up doing the right thing after they've exhausted all the other possibilities. And now the sluice gates have opened. We're getting the equipment we need. And we're going to take it to them. So the Americans are now in it to win it. And that for us is huge because our guys will learn how to use these weapons. They're learning it. They're, they're going to use them. We're getting the general's illusion. He said, no more Soviet weapons. We're, we're now going to use NATO. It will be absurd. It will be an absurd result of this war if Ukraine does not become a NATO member. As a result of Ukrainians fighting and dying, Sweden and Finland are going to be welcomed with open arms into NATO. No, you, you, you explain that one to me. I mean, I get it why they should. But, you know, Ukraine's not ready. I don't think so. And in fact, we're going to end up training NATO soldiers on how to use NATO weapons after all of this is, is said and done. Dan, can I add can I add something? Because, you know, what we've seen is we've seen all the masks come off and we've seen I'm happy that President Zelensky is no longer wearing suits. He is being himself. He's being his authentic, true self and showing his leadership qualities in the way that that are unique to him. He stopped reading from teleprompters. I mean, he's he is 
why he's inspired the world is that he's being himself. He's wearing what he should be wearing, not all, you know, choked up with a tie at his neck. And he is, he is responding to questions directly without any notes or without someone telling him what to say. I mean, he's being his authentic, true self and people are resonating with this. I want to go back to what Dan said about the people of Ukraine. You know, we have our leader, President Zelensky, but the people throughout the Ukraine, they have changed the tide of this war. Everyone expected because Russian speaking Ukrainians live in Eastern Ukraine, everyone thought that that they would collaborate. They would hand over those territories. You know, we have 22,000 cities, towns, and villages in Ukraine. 38 mayors or heads of city councils actually did the wrong thing. 38. The, the calculus was so wrong about what mattered to Ukrainians. One thing that I think is very important because we're focused on Ukraine so much, but if I'm watching this and I'm thinking, you know, I've been watching almost 80 days of this, of this war, why should I care about it anymore? You know, what's happening here is we're defining what the future world looks like. We're defining future global world order. We're defining what it means to be a country without nuclear weapons. And I personally don't want to see a war. I, I don't want to see a, a world where, where, you know, my children, instead of thinking about climate change and all the problems of humanity, are uh, spending Saturdays and Sundays learning how to shoot and learning how to defend themselves because any country that doesn't have nuclear weapons is a target for anybody who wants that country. I mean, that's what that's what this is about. This is one man's war that's wreaking havoc on global world order, on food security. There'll be an extra 20 million people who die of famine this year because the 104 ships, 90 million tons, cannot get out of Ukrainian ports. It's an energy security. One man's war is wreaking havoc on logistics, on food security, on energy security, on global markets. I, I believe the world can't stand for that. We can't have one person holding the world hostage in this way and affecting people across the planet. There has to be new security systems. There has to be new safeguards. There has to be, we have to, uh, leaders have to step up. So this truly never happens again. So, Lena, we talked about that one man. Uh, we talked about President Zelensky and the Ukrainian people for just a few minutes. Just a few minutes. I want to talk about you because we are running out of time here. So Dan talked about uh, initiative and, and, and self-organize. So here's my question for you. Leaders have the ability to help those around them right? To see a better future and inspire them to take steps in that direction. So Lena, how will you leverage your skills and responsibility of leadership to help others to get through this incredibly tough time? What's your recipe? What's your superpower when it comes to navigating your colleagues and your fellow countrymen, men and women through this very challenging time? First and foremost, Gerard, I take my position in Ukrainian society very seriously. So I wear many hats. I'm chair of American Chamber of Commerce, which unites 600 companies that have invested 50 billion. We're running the largest private equity firm in the country. I'm on the board of Ukrainian World Congress, which unites 20 million Ukrainians worldwide. So I understand first and foremost that people do look towards me for inspiration, for leadership, and it matters what you do. These words about you know, you can build your reputation over decades and then ruin it in five minutes. You know, when you stand for me in, you know, integrity, it's not a, it's not something 
that's fungible. It's not something that comes and goes. You know, it's a rock upon which we stand. You know, principles matter. What you're doing matters. I expect that others will see what I'm doing and they will be inspired by it. And I hope that that is the case, whether it's the folks at Horizon or at our portfolio companies or in general Ukrainian society. I mean, what, what I do is I stay firm to the vision, which for me is very important. It's always important to look towards the future. It's always important even to get yourself through this. You know, I look at Ukraine and I see what Ukraine will be. It's like that, you know, the way that Michelangelo looked at the, the piece of, of marble before he carved David. I look at Ukraine and I see a great nation, a country that can feed the world. I see talented people. I see the smartest programmers and the smartest young professionals and, and folks for whom freedom is in their DNA. You know, I see a country that truly has absolutely everything to offer and should be one of the top great countries in the world. And that's where that's I start with that. And I and I never lose sight of that vision. I communicated at all times. And from where we are to there is further now. It's further now if you look at, you know, 30% of economic infrastructure, 45% of GDP hit. You know, we had had our record highest 200 billion in nominal GDP, you know, such promise, all of these great construction projects, new bridges that had been opened, new roads that had been, I mean, the infrastructure had just been rebuilt. Okay, that's fine. If we have our people and the human capital, the human talent, the, the brave Ukrainians, they will take this Ukraine and they will make a Ukraine that is absolutely unbelievable in the future. And I, I believe in that. I communicate that. So for me, you know, what what I'm always doing is keeping focused on the big vision, aligning others towards it, working back from there and, and saying, OK, if we want to help Ukraine attract abundance, if we want to help Ukraine renew its economic prosperity and we're standing here now, what do we need to do to get there? And I communicate that whether I'm speaking to the prime minister or the or the ministers or employees or a fellow uh, business leaders, et cetera. I communicate it all the time. Let's not get discouraged by where we stand. Let's remember what our vision is, move towards it. One of the philosophies that I always have is leave no stone unturned. No, leave no stone unturned. If there is an issue, you know, you don't get discouraged. You don't try one thing and it doesn't work. You know, if I really, truly want to realize this vision, I'm going to leave no stone unturned. I'm going to keep on going and not stop until I have literally <laughs> turned over every stone. That's really, really the philosophies. And at Horizon, we have three. One team, one dream, which is you look after your team, your people, your pack. Focus is power. You can't do more than two or three things at once. You know, you have to focus in order to realize your vision and um, of course, leave no stone unturned. And that's, that's, I try to, to live that and communicate that at every level. I mean, I, it makes me, it really touches me deeply when in any conversation I'm having, especially now we can wallow in all the negativity we can say, and we know what's happening, but if, if we talk about what kind of future we want to build for our children, what kind of world do we want to live in? Do we want to live in a world where everyone has nuclear weapons and everything's militarized? I don't think so. If we can get everybody around the table at a high level and say what needs to happen so that we can all live safe and secure 
that's that's something all of us have a duty to do and to be part of that conversation. So that actually brings me to the next question. And this one is for you, David, because we've been talking about kind of the vision. Uh, we've heard about the resistance. We heard about the weapons. We have the smart the tactics, morale. And, and, and also, I think it was Dan or maybe it was Len who talked about the boardroom and the battlefield. So here's my question, David. And David, I really need a short answer because I have a, a final question for all three of you. David, what are the lessons for people in business that might be people in, 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 in the highest echelons in organizations, the C-suite, it could be board chairs. If we think about this morale, right? What are the lessons for leaders in the public, private, not-for-profit sectors actually to, to create that same morale in the organizations? Okay, so listen, for, for business leaders, the big moral question, and this is the courage question, business created the problems of Ukraine that where we are today. By going into uh, Russia, they created oligarchs and they actually made Putin rich beyond the wildest dreams that actually sowed the seeds to where we are today. So business leaders need to have the moral courage, whether or not that doing the right thing is actually profits versus the ethical thing to do. Go on to that is the next question is, what are we gonna do vis-a-vis -vis China? And, and that is a question that uh, from business leaders, uh, there are gonna be some hard decisions there because we are dependent on China economically. And so I think the, the leadership challenge that we have today is, uh, it's that courage thing that Zelensky is uh, demonstrating is understanding the crowd and understanding human geography. And no disrespect, but Putin is not an anomaly. He's going to be repeated time and time again. That's just history. Let's, a couple other things. Let's not count out Russia. They are going to double, triple, quadruple down on this thing for the long term. The other thing I would say, without the United States, Ukraine would not be alive today. Economically, Ukraine is alive today because of the United States. And on balance, President Biden has demonstrated outstanding leadership in managing, uh, uh, containing a war within the confines of Ukraine and not having 6 million refugees around the world, uh, where it could have been 60 million. Uh, this is, again, a demonstration of leadership at an institutional level, and we can learn something from that. All right. So final question for uh, all three of you. What have we not addressed during our conversation? What is the last leadership-related lesson or insight you would like to share with the audience? Of course, those whose ambition it is to lead people and communities to a better world. What is it that you want Canadians to know about your situation, that of your fellow citizens, or what can or should Canada learn from Ukraine? So, Dan, if we can start with you, then we go to Lena and for General Fraser to bring it to a close. Like Lena, um, one of the reasons I stayed behind was because I, I felt it was important for Ukrainians to see that there's some crazy uh, Canadian that's prepared to stay behind with them when everybody else left. And, uh, and you know, aside from the fact that I felt I had something to contribute. But more than inspiring them, I, I've been really inspired uh, by them. I had a, a young lady from our from our office who was in a, I had to extract three people uh, uh, from very difficult situations or try to. Um, she was stuck in, in, uh, in Chernihivska Oblast, uh, behind enemy lines, two villages beside her were completely wiped out. And she I was texting her every day to just to keep her morale up. And she says, hey, there's a column here of tanks and, and armored personnel carriers. I said, Olana, get off this line. It's open line. But I took that information. I gave it to my friends in the general staff and they came out 
and they took out the tanks. And that was that was heroic. That was extraordinarily brave for a mother of two children, a, a father, a mother, and, and, a, and a sister. So the, the message is coming back to have the courage of your own convictions to do the right things. Don't be afraid. This is really important for Canadians and for the West. If you feel it's right, you have to stick up. You have to confront aggressors. You have to confront evil. You know, uh, Edmund Burke said that uh, the only thing that for if, if evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Thankfully, uh, the West seems to have found its uh, its mojo and and they are doing the right thing. Um, we will have a uh, we will we still have to win this war. And I will quote again Hetman Mazapa that uh, this will get. Get us through. You put your faith in the sword and the sword in the enemy. Thank you. Lena. Well, for everyone on this podcast, what's important is, first of all, that you feel grateful and blessed for the wonderful life that you lead. Be grateful for your health, for your families, for a peaceful sky above your heads. Um, do not think of this as this is a Ukraine problem. Do not feel sorry for Ukrainians and say, I'm sorry for what's happening in your country. This is a problem that concerns every single one of us. This is about one man wreaking havoc on global world order, and this should concern everyone. Everyone should do one thing every day that moves things in the right direction. If we do that, then this will eventually end. That means do humanitarian. Only $50 million worth of all the billions that has been raised for Ukraine has actually made it into Ukraine. Think about the dollar that you give and whether it's going into Ukraine. Think about the services that you buy. Can you buy Ukrainian from a IT company that's got employees in Ukraine? Can you use a lawyer, an ad agency? Can you write to your, your government official? Do something every day and all of us will move this in the right direction. Thank you, Lena. General Fraser. Canada is blessed with resources that the rest of the world needs, including rare rare minerals. Uh, Canada is a laggard in the world in a leadership point of view, and we have uh, become way too reticent, and uh, we need to become more proactive in our leadership, and no answer is not good enough anymore. We need to be a react, not reacting, but we need to be anticipating for the North to help out Ukraine, and we are certainly not uh, punching uh, to our weight class. Thank you, General Fraser. So Lena, Dan and David, uh, it was truly a pleasure to uh, to have you with us this uh, this morning, this afternoon. And I wanna thank you for a thoughtful, impactful conversation. I wish we had more time. Uh, you certainly gave us much to reflect and, uh, and act on. And we wish you and all your loved ones uh, well. Slava Ukraine, and may freedom and democracy prevail. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. We'd like to extend further thanks to our guests for taking the time to share the knowledge and insights with us. The Ivy Academy podcast is produced by Melissa Welsh, Sean Ecklin-Grant, and Joanna Shepard, editing an audio mix by Carol Eugene Park. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe for similar content in the future. Please visit ivyacademy.ca or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram using the handle at Ivy Academy. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe for similar content in the future. You can also learn about our organization, the Ivy Academy, and check out all our activities, events, and programs. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you with us for the next episode.